This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Wednesday, January the 10th, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, there is speculation that interest rates are coming down. In fact, some financial institutions are already dropping interest rates before the Bank of Canada has officially announced it. So how does that jive with the overall economic and inflationary landscape? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin weighs in with his thoughts. It's winter, and depending on where you live in Canada, you're dealing with some kind of cold weather. So what's the best way to dress for winter temperatures? Emily Shavers gives some advice on choosing the right winter wear. And speaking of winter and you and how it makes you feel, how does it impact your skincare routine? How does it impact your skin? Anupala explores some solutions on dealing with dry skin. Speaking of beauty tips and fashion, I know the question that you all want to know as a devoted viewer and listener of this program, has Dave Brown continued to defy AMI management and not cut his hair? The answer is Dave Brown is still an unkempt genius, just the way he likes it, although once again did snatch up Ramya Amuthan's hair gel to try and control the Albert Einstein-ish hair that is emerging off my scalp. Nor did I shave this morning. I'm in outright protest over here. Outright war against upper management. Piece by piece and follicle by follicle. Let's get to the top story of the day, which is not my hair, but the economy. The CEOs of Canada's major banks got together for a conference, trying to figure out how much they could charge you in service fees, I imagine. Michelle Zadokian has the highlights RBC Chief Executive Dave Mackay told the bank's conference attendees that he expects to see credit loss provisions peak this year as some business lending remains strained. He says mortgage holders, however, are adapting to higher payments with the help of higher wages and savings softening the blow. Meanwhile, Scotiabank Chief Executive Scott Thompson says he also expects higher provisions for bad loans, but sees a more steady path this year after 2023's restructuring efforts. Michelle Zedekian, The Canadian Press. And another story having to do with the economy. This is where the economics and technology intersect themselves. Canadian companies are looking for a particular set of skills in their hiring process this year. Employees have to have a grasp on AI. Here once again is Michelle Zadokian. Members of the country's tech community say finding staff who can develop AI-based products or use them to bolster business is a priority as the global race to take advantage of the technology tightens. Jenny Yang, a senior advisor at the Mars Innovation Hub in Toronto, says everyone seems to be looking for people who understand AI to help them use chatbots or develop their own AI systems. Alex Sokolov of Montreal-based AI company Responsibly says the spike in interest in AI jobs is largely 
largely attributable to the release of ChatGPT. Michelle Zedekian, the Canadian Press. All right, that's your look at the news. Just so you know, there'll be a bit more economic conversation with certified financial planner Ryan Chin in about 30 minutes or so. But for now, let's get to the daily polls at Accessible Media on X at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You see, I've been practicing that one to make sure I get X off my tongue in a proper manner. On Tuesday, Alex Smythe asked you this fantastic question. What is your biggest issue with train travel in Canada? 7% of you said delays. 7% of you said a lack of accessibility. 53% of you said limited routes. And 33% of you said high costs. I have to say I am in agreement with the 53% of you who said limited routes. That's a uh, tough tough nut to crack and something that's really tough to rationalize when you consider the Quebec-Windsor corridor being prime for high-speed travel and there should be routes all the time but you're still trying to piecemeal these trips together and why on earth have we not connected Edmonton, Calgary, Regina, Saskatoon, Winnipeg and Brandon through some kind of high-speed loop as well. It, it just makes no sense to me. I understand there's things like the Rocky Mountains that get in the way if you're trying to put a train between Vancouver and, say, Edmonton. Like, listen, the Rocky Mountaineer and the Via Canadian are really cool trips to take through the Rockies, and you should do that if you ever get the opportunity. It's one of the greatest experiences of my life. But I understand that's not sort of passenger transit. But let, let's put these cities that are close together into a high-speed rail network. You could save a lot of emissions in the world of airplanes and get people from point A to point Z in a fairly meaningful way. Okay, that's enough ranting by me. Let's get some Facebook responses here at Accessible Media Inc. Carla writes in, too many views of warehouse districts. That's an interesting answer from Carla. Taryn writes in, no trains in Newfoundland anymore. There you go, lack of roots. And Brogan comments, inconsistency and availability. Great answers by all of you who chimed in on social media, at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Today's topic, Emily Shavers is going to explore this later in the show. Good winter clothing accessories. I'm asking you straight up, what is your favorite cold weather clothing accessory? Got sweaters, long johns, special socks, or other? I mean, certainly someone can make the argument scarves and gloves and boots, toques. Okay, great. That's like super captain obvious. Let's try and give people a little bit of advice here. Let's go outside of your standard closet hanger. And Alex, that's why I'm all about a good sweater. Now, this is going to depend geographically where you live in this country. But when you live in a place like Toronto, where it rarely gets below minus five, a great sweater, a great hoodie goes a long way as a great winter weather accessory. Yeah, Dave, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth, uh, having spent two winters in Edmonton. And this is right around the time of year where you start to see those minus 30 days kind of stack up in in Edmonton. And we will get into that with the weather forecast a bit later in the show. I don't want to give too much away. But when it was those conditions, long johns are a lifesaver out mm -hmm. there because typically you know the top layers okay you're going to have a heavy coat and you're going to have like lots of layers long sleeves sweaters things like that but typically people are only wearing one or maybe two layers on on uh the legs so having long johns having that extra protective layer where after 10 minutes outside it, it kind of you reach your max and that was really me like i could make my walk to work when i was in edmonton and it would be 10 minute maximum 
that would be the extent of which I could walk in those conditions. And I needed those long johns. I needed uh, to have that extra layer of protection just to keep some sort of warmth and protection on my legs. The other thing I, I did for warm, uh, uh, for like warm protection and, and cold weather protection was had dual layered pants. So they were kind of like insulated yeah. pants that had like, they were sewn in. Now they weighed a ton. This is because you were basically putting on two pants in, the, uh, in one go. But, oh boy, were they toasty, especially when you paired those with long johns. Sweaters are great if you're in Ontario, but long johns are vital if you're anywhere <laughs> where you're, you're averaging minus 25 to minus 35 in winter. Hey, let's not drag all of Ontario into this picture. Ottawa gets real winter. Sudbury gets real winter. Thunder Bay gets real winter. There are places in this province that get real winter, That's unlike right. these softies in Toronto. Laura Bain, bringing in your perspective on this one, I think is important. Alex did a nice job talking about what it's like in the prairies in Edmonton, one of the coldest places in Canada during the winter. I feel like the Atlantic Canadian experience is a little bit different, and I wonder how much of it comes down to waterproofing. Yeah, you know, they say it's a it's a damp cold here that gets you, and it's definitely a, a blustery day here in Halifax. It's a mix of snow and rain, which is kind of often the case what we get. Now, uh, for my answer, I don't know if this is a little bit too on the rack for you, but I recently got my first winter coat that goes down past my knees, almost to my ankles, and I found that it's kind of a game changer having my legs warm, sort of coming back to what Alex was mm. saying there about like warming up those legs when you're outside it's a whole new experience and you've also with the coat got that like waterproofing so uh highly recommend that if people are wearing <laughs> winter coats that only go to their waist you're missing out uh i also want to give an honorable mention to the covid mask as a winter accessory so yes this of course keeps your face warm but there's been a lot of people sick lately at least i know in my kind of realm so you know it's going to offer you a bit of that uh warmth but also protection and you mentioned dry skin so maybe you've got some dry skin going on in your face you want to hide covid mask is perfect for that yeah i like the identification of a mask there i would quibble with your premise that a coat is an accessory a coat is kind of a necessity mm -hmm. but 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 I'll, but I'll give you a little bit of grace here because your secondary answer was so good whether it's a mask which some people continue to wear outside uh, as the pandemic moves along but i also think that uh, things like balaclavas or other kinds of face protection um people love those little neck warmers those neck guards they can pull up to uh, get across their face when you get to those really windy cities and I imagine Halifax is one of those places, Vancouver, Vancouver Island, you know, wind chill also certainly affects the prairies and Ontario as well, that when you can bring in that little extra accessory that's going to warm your neck and protect your face, especially for folks like us who might be reliant on public transit and waiting for a bus or two feet on a heartbeat uh, on a cold winter day, the more skin coverage you can get, the better, right, Laura? <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. And lately I've been uh, I've been doing the uh you know, winter hat with the hood on the coat pulled up. So maybe oh, nice. that counts more as an accessory, but I find that's essential as well to kind of create that doming effect around your head of like still air very helpful yeah very very helpful well thank you both for your thoughts on this one don't forget this question is not just for myself laura and alex to kick around you get to kick it around as well at accessible media on x at accessible media inc on facebook you can also fire up the email machine feedback at ami.ca feedback at ami.ca or pick up the phone 
1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, a little bit of fun. You've had some vegetables this morning with that economic news and you'll get some more with Ryan Chin in about 20 minutes, but let's have a little bit of fun. How about an adult-friendly space to enjoy arcades? Toronto community reporter Mara Hutchinson has the place for you. It's the rec room in Mississauga. Well, I don't know if I'm going to go all the way to Mississauga to play video games. I can do that in my living room. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in audio at amiplus.ca. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There are a whole bunch of ways to plan a fun night out on the town. So many times, though, it's always just, oh, let's go for dinner. Let's go for drinks. What about some games? Doing something a little bit different. Well, the Rec Room in Toronto and Mississauga and many places across the province offers entertainment, Canadian cuisine, and loads of fun, including arcades. Toronto community reporter Mara Hutchinson recently visited the rec room and wants to share her experience. Hey, good morning, Mara. Good morning. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. Always enjoy talking about a little bit of fun here. What's the vibe at the rec room? The vibe is feeling young, but you're an adult, I felt like. <laughs> you know, I brought my son because it was the holiday break. But we left them alone a little bit at downstairs where the arcade was at in the Mississauga location. But the whole entire vibe was nice because it is wintertime, first of all. So sports games are on. There's a huge sports bar, you know, having a drink if you want or just really chilling out and enjoying your adult time while the kids are enjoying the games. And if you want to do the games, you can do the games yourself. Yeah, what, what were some of the games on offer? I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Mara. I love me some of the arcade games uh, that are obviously for kids, but as an adult, I like playing them. I love the basketball shooting game. Oh, my gosh, the basketball oh shooting gosh. game is so much fun. But what kind of games are on site? So we have the, the, the VR, first of all. My son loves it. Um, it's like you're actually riding the ride. You put on this helmet i'm not really familiar with what it's called but you put it on you're looking through that screen and being legally blind it was a struggle for me but you do what you got to do because you're the kids love it right and my son loves it they offer jurassic park type of vibe like the game where he shoots it he shoots the dinosaurs and he loves dinosaurs so he had i don't know what it's called but it's a jurassic park type of theme game there's a bowling Ali, I don't know if they have it in Toronto, but they do have it in the Mississauga location. And there's just a whole bunch and a lot of shooting games, I feel like. Well, yeah, yeah, that, feel that, like. <laughs> yeah that's, kind of, that's kind of the thing going on right now. A lot of people uh, love yes. themselves some of the first-person shooters, and the, and the virtual reality side of it has definitely like brought those kinds of games into the forefront yeah. quite a bit. Uh, Mara, can, change it up. Uh, Mara, Mara, knowing that th this is the Mississauga experience that you're describing, but this is a brand, it's a chain, there's locations all across the province. What's like, what? when I say vibe, I don't necessarily mean like, oh, fun like you're a kid again. I mean like, 
how big is it? How friendly are the servers? How much free form is going uh -huh. on here? Because like, because the one thing I worry about when I go to a place like this, it's going yes. to be gargantuan. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm not going to have a table to sit down at. Like, like, like I worry that some of the practicalities of the experience are going to go away for me. It is big. Even I feel like the Toronto location is huge, but I feel like you're able to find people if you are... You're enough. You're able to find people and your friends, obviously. But it is massive. It is spacious, very accessible, and lots of room to do whatever you want to do. And and that's the good thing about everything, right? There's elevators and so on. So you feel. I felt comfortable, mm. but obviously, the time that I went, it was the holiday break. The arcade area was a little too crowded for me. Yeah, and, and, there, and, and, and there's a lot of and there's a lot of sensory stuff going on too, right? The arcade area, there's like flashing lights and there's a lot of sound. Yeah, like like it's of... it's very it's like very uh, sensory rich. Uh, sometimes yeah. in a way that's not ideal. I used to go to this place in Ottawa called Funhaven. It was out in the west end of the city, and it was okay. by its nature a place for children. But what they did is every Friday, they would do an event called Friday Night Live that turned the place into adults only. And I cannot tell you how much fun you can have as a 34-year-old man jumping into a ball pit at one in the morning. I cannot, I, I could not express to you how much fun it was to do a somersault into a ball pit at one in the morning. I would be down for that. They need something like that here because they don't do that. I don't think they do that at the rec room. <laughs> no. They don't do an adult anything. <laughs> you know, but I would be down for that. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a lot of fun. I'm just, I'm just going to give the website here. Again, there's rec room locations in Toronto, Mississauga, a few more around the province as well. TheRecRoom.com, R-E-C, TheRecRoom.com. Check it out. It could be a nice way to spend a Friday night out on the town that isn't just going to see a movie or meeting up friends for a, for a drink or a steak or, you know, whatever you enjoy. Uh, moving over to the world of art, uh, Mara, you've expressed some love for the Art Gallery of Ontario uh, before. Uh, it's, it's much more than just arts pieces, family-friendly, learning experiences, special exhibits, workshops, social events. So you recently visited the museum. Again, what brought you there this time? Well, I was at, well, I would say Royal Ontario Museum is completely different for, from the Art Gallery. And I went there because I just wanted to see the cause. Everyone's hyping about the cause family and Keith Haring art. But I wanted to just experience it and show my son again because, again, it's holiday break. I wanted to figure out what can we do. But there is an adult version of, well, I'll touch base on that later. But um, just the fact that just to show him what it's like just looking at art and being creative because he likes to draw. And sometimes I look at the drawing and I'm like, oh, what are you really drawing? But I compared it to when I brought him there. I was like, this is something that you could be drawing because it looks so similar. Like you can just put on something and it's already art type of thing, right? So when we were walking around, he was so fascinated with different types of exhibition because there's a Caribbean British section where he loved it. And we call it the Gloria Front. I didn't even talk about Club Gloria Front room where all the, the sofas were covered in plastic. They were playing all sorts of old music. The, the TV was so old. It was just like nice to go back in time and look at all different types of art pieces with my son, which was like amazing because he loves that kind of stuff where painting, drawing. And I just wanted to show him what it's like. 
Mm. And it was really nice. You mentioned some special events up on the queue oh. that have your attention. What's what's on the radar here? So I didn't even realize that I'm going to go back actually as my just by myself or even with my husband where an adult fun because you can learn to draw and sip on wine. How cool is that? Or you don't even have to sip on wine. You can probably ask them, can I just sip some tea or something? But just some classes that you can take personally just to learn to draw, learn to paint. They have yoga classes. So I felt like I was even telling my husband, I'm like, back in the day, they never had stuff like this where you can do a date night or fun stuff with your friends. But now they're bringing all that stuff. And it's just amazing for me because now there's just something to do while... It's winter season. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe a little less time in the uh, the great outdoors. Uh, let's talk about accessibility for a moment yes. here because the AGO has advertised openly about how they utilize the Blind Square app for uh, folks who want to yeah. attend. How did the app enhance your experience as you were making your way through the museum? Okay, this is okay. It only works with iOS software. So that's, you know, I'm sure eventually it'll grow to even more, but it is so cool because it beeps if you're about to bump into something and it tells you some ways of the directions. So it's catered to the legally blind, visually impaired, deaf blind, which I find so cool because, you know, I, I actually hit something there, which I didn't break anything, but I didn't hear my phone beeping because it wasn't loud enough. Right. But it does navigate you along the way of the museum. And you just got to turn it on and have it with you and ready to go. And it'll tell you directions. If you're getting too close to something, it'll notify you, which I find so cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that one a lot. AGO.ca to learn more. AGO.ca to uh, learn more about the Art Gallery of Ontario. Hey, Mara, thank you for uh, taking the time thank today. You. Have a lovely day. Talk to you in a few weeks. Bye, guys. That is Mara Hutchinson, community reporter in Toronto, Ontario. Coming up next... There's speculation that the Bank of Canada is bringing down interest rates. Financial institutions are already lowering some of these rates. So how does that jive with the overall economic and inflationary landscape? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin weighs in with his thoughts. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Canadians are keeping a very close eye on interest rates. The Bank of Canada has not made any announcements about rate cuts, but financial institutions are already lowering their rates. Ryan Chin is a certified financial planner with Sun Life Financial. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Dave. So, Ryan, this is one that uh, popped onto my radar last week when one of my financial institutions sent me a rate scoop-related email, and it's all I talked about to uh, financial people in my life for the better part of three or four days. But now I get to bring you into the mix. How does speculation around rates influence the conversations that you're having with your clients? Yeah, well, I mean, it is absolutely top of mind, Dave. You know, we last year we we went through six hikes 
I mean, that's that's pretty substantial. And, you know, we haven't seen rates uh, at this level and, you know, for over 10 years. So it's kind of incredible to, to have that kind of adjustment. People are, you know, uh, uh, are in that transition. Now, of course, we got some people who, um, you know, they're in their fixed uh, rate mortgages, but it's those variable rates uh, that really, uh, this is this big impact or anyone with a line of credit or, or anything that has that, um, I'll say, uh, impact of rate adjustment. Mm. You know, how does it affect the conversation? Everyone wants to know when are they going to come down? <laughs> well, you know, Ryan, I think I think what's so interesting about that though is that obviously interest rates as a borrowing concept for people who are borrowing money is going to be a big deal, especially with the housing market where it's at. But one of the elements that I think got lost in broader conversation last year is that there was some benefit to higher rates for people who were in a more stable financial situation, especially people who, as you said before, were in fixed rate investments like GICs or high interest savings accounts. So it, I feel like everybody is kind of watching the inflationary number, or the, the interest rate number for different reasons. But who are the folks who are watching rates most intently? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll say any fixed rate investor right now is really following this this uh, this this line of thinking uh, with respect to interest rates. As inflation starts to come down, um, and um, you know the central bank decides that they will to, uh, uh, consider reducing those interest rates, well, those fixed rate those bonds though the um the 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 more uh the, the short-term paper uh the t-bills and such would we'll see a little bit of a surge um so everyone who has been and i'll say like this is a broad topic right now i mean everyone's mm -hmm, talking about mm -hmm. this um in that um you know if we look back to 2022 we saw a a double digit decline in anyone holding sort of that fixed rate uh investment we're not talking gic we're talking bonds at this point um and in 2023 the bonds slightly recovered but with with interest rates coming down right now uh, everyone is talking about the fact that, you know, the bond market is really going to start to pop. Um, you know, so so this this is kind of a different story uh, from last year where we were looking at, hey, we're going to have a growth uh, cycle and we're it's all going to be about growth or the equities. And um, at this point, um, everyone's talking fixed income. Mm. It, Ryan, it really strikes me as such an interesting time in the overall economic landscape because perhaps some of the rational ideas that existed in, uh, in common sense investing for the better part of 100 years are starting to get flipped on their head a little bit or there are more variables or different spikes or uncertainty. Certainly the, the speculation is that the Bank of Canada is going to cut their rates and financial institutions have already started doing some rate cutting. But how does that jive with the overall economic and inflationary landscape to your mind? Yeah, so this is the, now Dave, that is the question of the hour. I will say uh, every pundit is speaking about this topic uh, right now. Um, and, and, you know, 
I am happy to weigh in a, a, a hypothesis, but by no means am I a, a chief uh, strategist slash economist. Um, but I will say, I mean, um, when we think about the the drivers, uh, and, and I know we're going to get to that, but I, and when we think about those drivers of inflation, um, you know, the Bank of Canada is walking a, a fairly tight line right now when thinking about reducing interest rates. Now, here's the, here's the good news story, is that, you know, they can reduce interest rates very quickly to respond to market environment if needed. Um, now, what, what we're seeing is they're pricing in about, you know, six, currently six, well, two weeks ago, it was six 25-point uh, reductions over the course of the year. I think last week, I, uh, towards the end of last week, I saw five, uh, and that number might have changed even this week. Um, so, uh, the market is pricing in a reduction of interest rates. The question will be is, does the central bank feel the same? And it's based on the numbers. It's yeah, based on yeah. where they're seeing, uh, um, you know, the cash flows are happening and, and what's happening in the overall economy. Ryan, you mentioned the drivers, and that might be a very good pun here to talk about gasoline and the price of energy, because that to me has been the story of the better part of the last six to eight months, while perhaps politicians and central bankers are uh, pumping their fist and patting themselves on the back about getting inflation under control. The ebbs and the flows, the ups and the downs have had a lot to do with the price of gasoline and energy. And maybe there's been some stabilization around energy with the war in Russia and Ukraine, but now there's clearly something brambling in the Middle East. Like, I'm not talking about it here on The Daily because I don't think you should do your Middle East news in one-minute sound bites. I think you need uh, thorough reporting and thorough reading. But it's safe to say there's some precarity going on, and when there's instability in the Middle East, there's instability in the oil markets. Yeah, and and that's that's so true, Dave. However, it, it's not the oh, it, it is one of the uh, economic uh, indicators when considering uh, inflation and inflationary process. But I think one of the other ones certainly is uh, consumer spend, and and what's happening there. Another one is employment numbers. Now, keep in mind three drivers of inflation. We've got demand pull, supply push and built-in, or, or the, what they call baked-in or built-in uh, inflation. Now, the demand pull and supply push, those have been, you know, sorted out over the last year. I mean, they found ways of keeping up supply and demand. They've, they've been able to... Um, to uh, fulfill orders, as you know, you can go on to jump onto your uh, your 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 local uh, uh, sales uh, site and buy something, and it'll be there within two three business days. Uh, but the baked in part, so that that piece where it's it's the employment numbers. Now you'll know. I mean, if you look back, you know you're hearing a lot of companies downsizing over the last uh, six months. It's because. Um, it's the uh, uh, employment uh, uh, costs that are keeping that inflation number up as well, because mm. there, there are a lot of folks who are saying, hey, I can do this job, but I'm demanding more money to do the job. Mm. Ryan, it is such an interesting economic stew that's being baked on the oven right now and baked on the stove. Thank you for taking a little bit of time to unpack it and talk about some of the ingredients. Your perspective is so appreciated. 
Yeah, Dave, thanks so much. And and know that the, the picture is unfolding. Uh, we're a little early in the year to really think, hey, uh, we're, we can forecast the future. But as, the, as we uh, sort of roll out the rest of the year, it's going to be an incredible ride. Looking forward to riding it with yeah, you. Yeah, real, in real time to talk about these <laughs> things is so interesting, and it's not yeah. easy, and that's why your training and knowledge is uh, so, so appreciated. Ryan, have a lovely day, sir. Thank you, and you too. That is Ryan Bradley-Chin, Certified Financial Planner at Sun Life Financial. Coming up in 60 seconds, Alex Smythe will have the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. Weakness in financial stocks weighed on Canada's main stock index. Toronto's TSX index lost 103 points to close at 20,970. New York's Dow Jones average dropped 157 points and the Nasdaq added 13. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index surged 678 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.79 cents US. Canadian companies looking to hire this year are looking for skills in the field of artificial intelligence. Members of this country's tech community say finding staff who can develop AI-based products or use what's already out there to help trim costs is a priority. Jenny Yang, a senior advisor at the Mars Innovation Hub in Toronto, says everyone seems to be looking for people who understand AI to help them use chatbots like ChatGPT. Job postings show Porter Airlines recently sought an AI engineer in Toronto. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Always appreciate you stopping by for those business updates. Let's turn to Alex Smythe for the weather story of the day. Alex, January in the prairies, it's always going to be cold, but it's really cold right now in the prairies. Well, and it's not just really cold, it's also really snowy as well, because uh, out in the prairies are dealing with the start of a polar vortex, Dave. So the wintry havoc uh, continues for the prairies. So uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba will all feel the impacts of the polar vortex. So snow began falling earlier this week, but it's expected to carry on into today. And there will be in Dolphin, Manitoba, upwards of 25 centimeters when everything is said and done. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, they could expect to see upwards of 20 centimeters by the time the storm passes the region. So while many uh, folks in the area are gonna be busy digging out the snow, what they really need to be mindful of is once the snow stops falling, then the mercury drops and that's where those really extreme cold temperatures will creep in and that will start Thursday into Friday. So uh, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Thursday you could see daytime highs between minus 20 and minus 30. Friday it'll be even colder where Edmonton Airport is expected to have a daytime high hovering right near minus 30. It's so cold, this would only be the sixth time since 2000 that there's been a daytime high at or below minus 30. So, needless to say, this is where uh, folks in the region need to be very mindful, very careful, dress for the weather, brace yourself and be prepared because it is the point where the weather gets very dangerous to be outside for long periods of time. So be sure to bundle up and stay warm if you have to go out and about. 
Alex, in the next few days. Alex, what's your over-under number? When do you feel like it's really cold outside? I, I would say somewhere around minus 15 is when I start saying to myself, yeah, it's cold. It's cold and I don't like it. Uh, so for me, Dave, I, I have, yeah, it's around minus 15 to minus 20. That's the point where I'm going to put away the light winter jackets, the light little puffers <laughs> yeah. or something. And I reach for that big, thick parka that's going to do me well and has done me well in minus 30, minus 40 conditions. That's when I go and it'll be light underneath the coat. I'm not going to put on the sweaters. It'll probably be a t-shirt or something light. But yeah, that minus 20 mark is when that, that transition point happens. Other than that, I'm layering up then I, you know it's bad when I reach for that big, thick winter parka. Yeah, there was only really one or two days last winter in southern Ontario, but there was one day in particular, it was a Friday, and I walked in, and I think with wind chill, it was like minus 35 or something, mm -hmm. and I said to myself, Dave, you are not walking home. You braved it this morning. You 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 affirmed your you affirmed your toughness. You showed these Torontonians what's what. And then in the afternoon, I was like, ah, it's sunny outside. I'm gonna go walk home. And I cursed myself the entire walk home because like the way that my walk home works is like the only opportunity to grab an Uber is whether or not I'm right outside the office. There's no there's no changing your mind once the walk has begun. And I was so mad at myself, Alex, because you know I'm, I'm trying to prove something to you, Southern Ontarians, yeah. and sometimes that's at my own it's at my own cost well and so i mentioned uh during the daily poll like i i had like a a benchmark of like 10 minutes was kind of my maximum when i was in edmonton to walk to to the office like that was kind of the the extent of how much i would walk because there were be points when it's that minus 20 minus 30 with the wind chill maybe creeps close to minus 40 that my sinuses would freeze and, and it is so painful. It is so uncomfortable. And there's not a lot you could do to really cover up, you know, your nose, your face, even with a scarf. If you wear glasses, you know, it's going to fog up. So you want to be able to have visibility. So oftentimes I would have the scarf to the chin, maybe cover the mouth, had the nose bare. As a result, the sinuses Ugh. would freeze. Ugh. And then they would thaw once it got to the office. Anything more than that, it was just, no, this is too uncomfortable, too painful. <laughs> I, I'm going to get a ride. I'll, I'll get an Uber. I'll get a taxi or something there's an extent to walking because it, it does get dangerous out there, Dave. Yeah, that's when you send the old text out to Jim Crisco and say, hey, Jim, pick me up. Jim, swing by it, the apartment it, and pick me up. It, it wasn't Jim. Jim Crisco, uh, my employee, never was one to volunteer the drives. It was Pat Kelly, the videographer, who was always very kind to come and pick me up. So I could always rely on, on Pat. Jim, not so much. I, oh, he, he shots always, fired. He, he would always be very grateful and, and <laughs> offer uh, to pick me up something from, from the shop across the street. The drives, on the other hand, eh, that, that was a bit of twisting the arm that had to occur. Uh, that's just the relationship that camera guys, uh, shooters, and their, and their on-air hosts have. A big shout-out to my guy, Darcy to Tony. Miss you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, Alex, thank you for this. Talk to you a little bit later. Sounds good, Dave. That's Alex Smythe with the weather story of the day. Coming up after the break, more winter talk. Winter training season for dragon boating is taking place in Halifax. Community reporter Melinda Kazanavishus has the details. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The dragon boat season, still a few months away. 
Yes, it is January. Perhaps it's uh, too optimistic to already look forward to the summer the summer months and riding a boat around the ocean or your local lake but winter training sessions are in full swing halifax community reporter melena kazanavishus has the details say good morning melena good morning dave happy new year to you and everyone out there yeah thank you very much i appreciate that melena what is involved in dragon boat training in the winter they're, they're not throwing you in the ocean are they Hell no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so uh, th this is actually the first time around for winter training for the BPS crew, the Blind Partially Sighted. And um, it's in our brand new uh, um, building that it just finished completion for dragon boat storage and exercise room, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. Graham's Grove. Yeah, pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, we've already been inside during the summer. And so I've, uh, it, it's taking place every Sunday to start um, for the winter months, free of charge, uh, book your access bus or take the, the, the Halifax Transit. And I've, I've not gone in yet, but I'm going this Sunday and henceforth, my uh, current uh, boyfriend who is blind as well has gone a couple of times and what he describes these dragon boat training machines is kind of like um um, like a rowing machine, but they're two feet off the ground. So you're in a seat and you do move back and forth. There's a spot for your feet. Um, and then there's, whether you're a left or a right paddler, there's a paddle. And so you're, you're, you're working those paddling muscles of whatever arm that you paddle with. Uh, there's also going to be uh, stretch band uh, exercises. And um, I'm not very good at those because they seem to just spring back and doink me in the face. But, you know... <laughs> Try and try and get a little bit more more strength going. So this is happening already every Sunday, Graham's Grove, Lake Bonook, 145 Graham's Grove. Okay. Um 145 till 245 again every Sunday, free of charge. And I'm just gonna shout out the contact person who's Jan Oakley. You can get a hold of her at jan.oakley, O-A-K-L-E-Y at dragonboatist.ca. Uh, I hope to see everyone out there for the yelling and screaming for me, for nothing else. Okay, just an opportunity to <laughs> grunt in a loud way. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dra dragonboatist.ca, dragonboatist.ca to learn about uh, more details. Okay, let's stay with water sports here, Milena. You can improve your swimming skills with AquaGo. They're offering uh, the Scotia Sea Turtles program for people who are uh, blind and partially sighted on Sundays. So uh, what does this program offer when it comes to coaching? Okay, um, again, so uh, this is the second time around. They ran the program for 10 weeks in the fall. There were a couple of glitches and hitches and everything else, you know, some coordination, uh, lack of and, and explanation, but, but uh, it was a pretty good turnout. And um, so the, the Scotia Sea Turtle, so again, it's going to be happening on the peninsula in Halifax at the Centennial Pool on Gottagen on Street. It's, it's a pretty good location for everyone to access no matter which direction you're coming from. Centennial Pool. Every Sunday, uh, two sessions, 2.30 till 3.15 or 3.30 till 4.15. There is a cost of $50 for the 10 sessions. It starts this Sunday, the 14th. Um, and you can contact Ginny or Jenny 
uh, kudos for them for getting this out um, for your swimming lessons. And, uh, the, you know, if you need to bring a support person, uh, they're, they're welcome as well. Um, if you need a little help with the $50 fee, uh, contact them and I'll give that out in just a second. Um, and, and so you can, you, all levels, all ages, no matter if you swam before or you haven't, so you're in the pool and you're with your, your, you know, your colleagues. Uh, sounds like a great program. Um, I, I'm not a big uh, chlorine fan, so I'm not going. But I'm hearing great news all around. Um, shall I give out the email there? Uh, I don't have the email, so if you have it, go I ahead. Do. All right. So uh, email to contact Ginny or Jenny is at n s a s aqua go coordinator what one more time there Milena I just I just want to make sure you got that out you got that out uh one more time okay n s a s aqua go coordinator dot c a no at gmail.com forgive me good thing you got yeah, me there. that that's so one more time one more time let's make sure we get that out right ready n s a s aqua go coordinator at gmail.com there we go. You see, I didn't even have the email address, but I knew something smelled a little fishy. Typical water sports stuff. Always <laughs> smelling, always, always, always smelling chlorine. Artisticswimmingns.wordpress.com is another resource. Artisticswimmingns.wordpress.com is another resource for you to check out. Okay, so that's the water. What happens when water freezes? You go skating. You've given some love to the Emera Oval before, and there's some free skating opportunities. So what's going on with the Emera Oval? Okay, just wanted to uh, bring the reminder again. Uh, Amira Oval is open uh, already. It has been for a good couple of weeks. Um, so uh, largest outdoor skating rink east of Montreal, smack dab in the middle of uh, HRM Halifax. Uh, free skating all the time. Um, there is what is called a skate assist. So it's kind of it's kind of like a walker. So if you've never been on skates, you know, you can put your skates on. And they have those, I call them the little kid skates. Um, you know, where there's like two blades instead of one, and then it's kind of like a walker, so you're sliding it uh, along the along the the ice. Uh, um, and all you need is a, a valid ID for for the free rental for a helmet and skates. Um, there, I think there are some sleds as well. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, it's open till the snow starts to melt or the ice starts to melt. I just like to give a lot of shout out because there's a lot of free things at the Amira Oval all season long. And right now it's skating. So get out there if you like that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I'm not big in New Year's resolution, but you've got three things to go exercising with. And uh, you can contact Amira Oval at skatehrm.ca skatehrm.ca uh no 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 you got it wrong again melena skate what do you mean? skate rhm at halifax.ca skate hrm at halifax.ca it's not an email address if you don't have an at in there no <sighs> Gotcha. Okay, I'll quit it for next month. <laughs> okay, there we go. Some feedback in real time on air. Melena, thank you for I love this. It. Th this is Th why we do this. <laughs> th thank you for helping with fitness resolutions. It's much appreciated. And, and I got one little last thing for you to, to, to say, just because you've got Laura Bain coming on. It's her birthday on Friday. So shout out to her. Happy birthday. She'll kill me. All right. Yeah, Laura <laughs> might get mad at you about that one. Thanks, Melena. That's Melena Kazanavishus, community reporter in Halifax, Nova Scotia. In 60 seconds, the future birthday girl, Laura Bain, will have the latest news and entertainment. But first, virtual reality is all over CES this week. Mike Dubusky looks at Sony's offerings in Tech Trends.
Sony already makes a VR headset in the gaming-focused PSVR 2, but Upload VR's Ian Hamilton says that shouldn't be confused with its new device. It's going to be a completely different uh, market that they're appealing to with this headset. Instead, he says, Sony is targeting businesses. In industrial engineering design markets, but it's still very early in the story, and they haven't really revealed much. In fact, Sony doesn't even have an official name for the device yet, but we are learning more about a different headset. Apple announcing that the Vision Pro will go on sale in store next month. You've got to go eyes in with this device to have any idea of what it's going to do for you. And that, that's coming in February 2nd. You have an opportunity. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Don't forget, lots of tech news coming out of CES. Marco Flalo stops by tomorrow to talk a little bit about that. But the gang at Access Tech Live is doing a special broadcasts a couple times this week. They've got a camera down there in Vegas and a bunch of interviews booked. So super, super cool that the gang at Access Tech Live on AMI-tv working their tails off, keeping track of what's going on in Las Vegas without being there themselves. That's the best way to handle journalists. Don't send them to Las Vegas. Keep them remote. Just get a camera down there. That's the safest way to do things. I don't know how anybody goes to Las Vegas on a business trip. Uh, it would be a disaster if I went down there. Let's bring in Laura Bain to talk a little bit about entertainment. Laura, there's a new Marvel series out on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, and first I'll say I really appreciate that shout out from Milena, especially since I missed her birthday last week. So happy belated ah, birthday ah. to Milena. <laughs> Just birthday, birthday love going all around from folks in the Halifax Regional <laughs> Municipality. One Capricorn to another. But um, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the new series Echo, which was released yesterday in Canada on Disney+. Plus. It's a five-part series. I haven't watched it yet, but I did give it a quick check this morning, and it does thankfully have audio description on it. Now, this is the first Marvel Spotlight series, which means you don't need to be well-versed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to understand it. So that's great for folks like me. I've only seen Daredevil. Uh, and interesting that there's also a kind of disability lead character in Echo. So the main character, Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, is deaf and a member of the Choctaw Nation. She also just happens to be the niece of Marvel supervillain Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. Kingpin. And I think we have a clip from the series to set up here. Yeah, you sure do. I'm going to do a little bit of pre-described video on this one, just to make sure everybody's in the on the same page here. And a bit of a warning here. There is some graphicness to this trailer. So if you got the little kiddos uh, watching right now, you might want to uh, cover their eyes and hit them with the old earmuffs for a few moments here. So Laura mentioned Marvel superhero super villain named Kingpin. He's a large white male in a suit with a bald head. And then, of course, there is the character who Laura referenced, Echo, who's a young schoolgirl with pigtails walking on the street. She signs to an ice cream vendor who rudely flaps his hands and mouths, I don't know what you're saying. Kingpin watches from a car, then proceeds toward the vendor to beat him up. After Maya leaves, Maya comes back in time to witness Kingpin's shaky, bloody hand. Maya. I see everything that you are. I always have. 
Don't be afraid. gotta confess that trailer is pretty appealing yeah and you know you mentioned kind of mature content this is uh, not one for the kiddos uh the echo series but i want to talk about alakwa cox who is the indigenous actor playing the lead character maya she is herself deaf and a single limb amputee now before being cast in this role which she first took up in 2021 in the marvel series hawkeye she had only ever acted in a high school play before she was actually working as an amazon uh warehouse worker when she heard about the casting call through a friend so this really echoes for me kind of the story behind all the light we cannot see and i just love hearing about like people from the deaf and disabled communities kind of getting these opportunities for lead character roles mm -hmm. it's so cool mm -hmm. um way but... way more authentic casting right i, I yeah it's, it, there's still work that needs to be done broadly speaking but it just seems across the board that core message of please cast authentically when it comes to disability has really started to resonate across hollywood and i don't think it means we can put that call for advocacy to bed but definitely people are starting to buy in at high levels here yeah and this series seemed to also kind of get it right behind the scenes which i just want to highlight a little a little bit quickly so uh director and executive producer sydney freeland who is herself a member of the navajo nation insisted on having writers and consultants from both the deaf and choctaw communities working on this series um, she also insisted that marvel actually gain consent from leaders in the choctaw community to uh, base the series around their nation which is something i haven't heard of a production doing before but is really awesome um, the director and the crew also took ASL classes to better uh, communicate with Alakwa. So clearly Marvel going way beyond tokenism with this series, uh, which is uh, what I like to see. But I definitely plan on checking this out, especially since I don't have to kind of be familiar with the dozens of Marvel movies that have come out <laughs> over the last uh, a decade or so to watch this but what about yourself dave is this one that you plan to check out i i just i'm not into superhero culture i'm not into superhero stories i only really watch the stuff if the cultural zeitgeist demands that i do that said the darker more adult oriented style of comic book movie is always going to bring me in uh, I think about the movie The Joker that had Academy Award uh, nominations and recognition a couple of years ago got me there. I think about a movie like Sin City, uh, Zack Snyder's movie from the early 2000s that was dark and gritty and interesting that I really, really enjoyed. So this is one, Laura, where I think I may end up waiting on the reviews for a little while to make sure it's actually worth my time. But for the most part, a few of the things that you've described here do check the boxes for me. Self-contained, right? One of the hardest things about someone who might have to get into Marvel culture or the DC extended universe right now is you have to watch about 87 pieces of content to understand it. If this truly is self-contained and it's something that I can just hit play on and go, then maybe that's going to make my choice a little bit easier as well. But I, but football season's not over, Laura. I'm, I'm still bogged down in a lot of football. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's not going anywhere, and I only have knowledge of Daredevil, which apparently Daredevil does make a cameo in this series, so 
what I will do, Dave, is I will check it out and I will give you my feedback. Could I follow it or not? And maybe that will help you make your decision. You know, I, they just make it so hard to watch things now unless you have 77 streaming services. But that is a different... Thanks, Dave. I'm glad that Laura's on top of them so I don't have to be. <laughs> That's Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, a couple of regional news stories all about healthcare in a few different provinces. And then Brock Richardson stops by for a sports chat. The head coach of the Toronto Raptors went on an unhinged rant last night. I have the clip and you will get to hear it. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv, in audio at amiplus.ca, or on demand on your favorite podcasting platform. Really, you have no excuse. You should be consuming every single second of the show. Just because you miss it live on TV, it's all good, amiplus.ca. And if you can't catch the show live, why haven't you downloaded the podcast? Why haven't you subscribed, rated, and reviewed? Why haven't you shared it with your friends? I take it as a personal affront. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, January the 10th, 2024. Coming up in the second hour of the show, what's the best way to dress for cold winter temperatures? Emily Shavers gives some advice on the right winter wearables. Also in the world of winter and the effects on your body? What about the impact of cold weather on your skin? And Upala explores some solutions for dealing with dry skin. That and so much more coming your way in the second hour of the show. But everything begins with the regional news update. Starting in British Columbia, BC is phasing out the pap test for cancer screening in favor of mail-in kits collected by patients. Premier David Eby describes the process. British Columbians will be able to order this test for themselves online. It'll be delivered to your home. You can do it at home by yourself or in partnership with a healthcare professional. You mail it in in an envelope and you get the results in a few weeks. BC residents can request kits as of January the 29th. And over to the Atlantic provinces, also a story about healthcare, but this one's all about public perception. Public perception of provincial government's handling of healthcare has fallen across Atlantic Canada. 20% of people in Newfoundland and Labrador felt their leaders were doing a good or very good job with healthcare. That number is just 11% in New Brunswick. The number is 26% in Nova Scotia. There's no data for Prince Edward Island. All those numbers represent a decline in how people felt about healthcare before the pandemic. So a couple of healthcare stories for you to consider this morning. Let's turn to the world of sports and chat with Brock Richardson. The Toronto Raptors lost a tight game last night. The LA Lakers flooded the Raps 132-131. 
there was a big disparity in free throws, especially in the fourth quarter. The refs sent the Lakers to the charity stripe 23 times. The Raptors only shot two free throws. Raptors coach Darko Ryakovich let his feelings be known post-game. If that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. But that, that was not fair tonight. And this is not happening first time for us. And what, what's happening over here during whole season, I've been holding it back. It's a complete Ooh, see, good, good job by the gang of Canadian press for uh, bleeping that one for us. Brock, once again, especially with basketball, especially in the fourth quarter, it brings up these conversations about officiating in sports. The loser's lament of officiating in sports. Yes, indeed. And I'm going to bring up uh, something that I don't love bringing up in the fact that I know who the referee was last night in the game. Uh, his name was Ben Taylor, and I shouldn't know what his name was. Um, and this is a problem. I mean, Darko was fully in his rights. If you watch the last minute to two minutes of the basketball game, it was a gross display of officiating. Um, and Darko went to bat. And I would say president of uh, basketball operations for the Toronto Raptors, Masai Ujiri, should uh, pull out his pocketbook and probably write a check to the NBA for what's probably going to be $30,000 or so. The reason, As a fine, the reason I say it's about that is because Fred Van Vliet, about a year ago for the Toronto Raptors, went off on Ben Taylor in a postgame and said, quote, I don't care. I know I'm going to get fined. This is bad. So we're probably in the same neighborhood. I like that Darko went to bat. I think that it shows good on your team that you, uh, you, you support them. But it depends how often you pull this kind of thing because it can get old on people quickly. But I think he was fully in his rights last night to do this. The disparity is pretty jarring. The one thing I would point out to you here, though, Brock, is when you look at the shot charts, the Toronto Raptors are not a team that lives inside. They love to shoot from the perimeter. They love to shoot from mid-range, whereas the Lakers are a bunch of big, tall, physical players who attack the inside. Style matters. I, I agree there's a disparity when it's 23-2 for free throws in the fourth quarter. That definitely implies there was a lens being applied by referees as the, uh, as the game went along. But... At a certain point, the Raptors have to look inwardly and say, if you want to play on the perimeter, you're going to get less calls on the perimeter than you are inside. Yeah, and this doesn't change the fact that the Toronto Raptors are what they are and they have some things that they need to fix and they're not a top six playoff team. But it does lend to, as I said, why should I know who the referee Ben Taylor was last night? I shouldn't. And I think that's something that the NBA needs to take a look at and one of the things that was brought up on sports radio which i'll bring here this morning is instead of the nba saying well we're just going to slap a roughly thirty thousand dollar fine no problem let's move on why don't we go back and look at uh ben taylor and the track record and maybe take into account what fred van vliet said or what others have said about this particular official and maybe hold them to account i am fine with the fine but maybe do a little bit more due diligence if you're the nba and say what can we do better? They won't. They're just going to slap the fine and move on. Well, that's, that, what that's, like. that's not totally true. They release a last two-minute report for every game. So the, there will be an analysis of those last two minutes that gets released sometime today by the league. Right. But will there be any any disciplinary factor? I, I doubt it. 
I would like to kind of see it if it was that glaring. But I, I would say this for any team. If, if there's something that deserves disciplinary action, the two-minute report, I'm, I, I'm fine with it. It's, it's fine. I, I like the transparency. But something, something more than just here's the report, sorry, here's the fine, let's move on, would be what I'd like to see for all officials of all sports, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for official accountability. The entire NFL playoff system has been obstructed this year by the refs blowing a call in the Detroit Lions and Dallas Cowboys game a couple Saturday nights ago for incorrectly identifying a player not declaring himself as an eligible receiver. It changed the entire playoff landscape in the NFL because the refs blew it and there's been zero accountability. So I'm not here this morning telling you that you're wrong, that there should be more accountability for officials in sports, but leagues across the board do not care. They flat out do not care. Uh, no, they, no, they, they'll they'll they just keep going with business as usual because the fact is folks like you and I just move on to the next officiating controversy and that's that yeah. and that's how, and that's how it goes. Also, you know, there's... Because guess what? There will be another official controversy. Yeah, by tonight. Uh, that we, that by tonight. That we'll discuss. And it's, you know, maybe tonight's officiating uh, controversy won't be discussion worthy, but... I guarantee you over the next year when we do this this conversation, we will have another officiating discussion uh, yeah. about it. Cause it Some just, others. It just happens. And you lend, it to, you lend it to this when you say this about human beings. So this is this is where we are. Yeah, some some loser team is going to complain about being losers. Like the Raptors have the eighth worst record in the league, and it's not because of the officiating. It's because the team's in no. a rebuild and they stink. Okay, over mm -hmm. to uh, the world of golf and advertising. After nearly 30 years, Tiger Woods and Nike are no longer a pair. Kind of shocking news that Tiger Woods' relationship with Nike has finally come to an end. Brock, your reaction? My reaction is one that's simple. I, I would say to you that Tiger Woods and Nike is all I've ever known from a point of watching sports. I am almost 33 years of age in, in a couple of weeks, uh, next week, as a matter of fact. And... Um, and this is all I've known. I've only known Tiger and Nike, so it'll be a bit weird. It's a bit weird to see that um, this is separating, but I would say this, 27-year sponsorship is a lot of time, and eventually, you know, ties have to be, you know, separated a little bit with things, so I'm not surprised that this comes to an end. But, Dave, it got me thinking, is Tiger Woods still relevant without this sponsorship? Oh, Tiger Woods' relevancy has nothing to do with Nike. Tiger Woods made his own relevancy by winning a whole ton of majors and winning a whole lot of golf tournaments. And even though it's been a couple of years since Tiger was truly at his peak, the brand is still worth something. When Tiger's in contention on a Sunday afternoon, the ratings go up, period. Point finale, that's it. When Tiger Woods is competitive in a golf tournament, the ratings reflect a serious spike because people still care about Tiger Woods, unlike pretty much everybody else on the PGA slash Live Golf Tour. Yeah, totally. And I, and I mean, even I, growing up, my dad used to watch a lot of golf. I would say he would put it on to nap too, but, you know, he'd watch a lot of golf and it would be turned on on Sunday and Tiger Woods would be there. Yep. And he still does move that needle in that regard. So... 
uh yeah i and, just and some company and, and some company like adidas or reebok or whomever is going to step into the fray and offer tiger a whole boatload of cash like if yeah. if if his if his cheating scandal didn't cost him uh, major advertisements uh neither will uh him being a little bit worse at golf the, the brand is still worth more than uh and the, the and guess smooch. what and guess what guys tiger woods is gonna take whatever sponsor comes out and say i'll, I'll take this money and He's not going to give Nike a second or a third yeah. thought about it. It's just going to be, hey, I had 27 years here. We'll we'll move on. Yeah, so the hundreds of millions that. of dollars that Nike already gave me will remain in my bank account, although half of it goes to his ex-wife. But that's uh, neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. Okay, Brock, one more thing here. You blew me up in email yesterday. Blew me up to my bosses via email because I took yesterday off because I wanted to watch the Michigan and Washington national foot national title game for college football on Monday night. You blew up my spot, Brock, tagging my bosses in emails. I'm I'm sorry. I you know, but just out of total interest because it was a great game to watch and I, I'm really glad to see that Michigan won and another Harbaugh can can put another trophy in the case. That's perfectly fine. But what is it about uh the national championship that leads you to say, I'm going to use one of my well earned vacation days to to take this in? The answer is not that complicated. It's that my alarm goes off between 5 and 5.30 every morning, and I knew the game was not going to end until close to 11.30. It's also my favorite team. The Michigan Wolverines are a team that I've been rooting for my entire life. They have won nothing during my entire adult life. In fact, they're the first team that I actually care about to have won anything. The Montreal Canadiens have won nothing in my adult life. The Miami Dolphins have won nothing in my adult life. The Montreal Expos no longer exist. The Michigan Wolverines was my first opportunity to actually watch a team of mine play for something that meant something in my adult life. And you sure as heck better believe I wanted to enjoy every single second of it and not worry about when my alarm clock was going off to work in the morning. Absolutely. I, I believe I had a segment for Kelly and Romeo on the day they did uh, the Toronto Raptors parade, and I got some of one of my neutral zone colleagues to do it for me because I just said, no, I want to take this in, and I don't know how long it's going to be. Turns out it was seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, we, as sports fans, you, you, you get into those moments, and I, and I have seen the Raptors win a championship, but I do want to see uh, the Leafs, the Bills, somebody else win a championship so that I can agree to that and you better believe i'll probably take into your model as well if uh, the opportunity presents itself very good and i look forward to blowing up your email to your bosses uh, when you do that all right brock thanks for this have a great day you too that's brock richardson at the ami sports desk coming up next what's the best way to dress for the cold winter temperatures emily shavers has some advice on choosing the right winter wear this is now with dave brown on ami tv
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. A reminder about the daily poll at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. What's your preferred cold weather, winter weather accessory? Sweater, long johns, special socks of some variety. Of course, there's plenty other options out there. Let's find out what the founder of True Faces, Emily Shavers, thinks. Hey, good morning, Emily. Good morning. Emily, there's lots to break down here in terms of choosing the right winter wear, but when it comes to those accessories, what jumps off the page to you? All right, so I am always down for a scarf. I don't know, there's something about having that like chill down your back that is honestly makes me colder than anything. So adding like a simple scarf to any sort of winter outfit that you can kind of both wear inside and outside has always been a favorite of mine. What's your approach on scarves? Because not all scarves are created equally. No, definitely not. And I think I am somebody who, I often dress to be inside, you know? Am, am I just walking out to the bus? Am I waiting for somebody to pick me up? Like, what's kind of that time frame that I'm spending outside? And so that often determines how I'm dressing. And so I am somebody who usually dresses for inside and then ends up being cold outside. And so when I put on a scarf, <laughs> it's such like a simple accessory that you can put on and be warm in the moment and then take it off when you get inside so you're not overheating. You know, when you walk into a store or a building and you just start sweating because you've put on all these layers, it's something that you can just kind of whip off and um, be, be kind of cool again. But you know, there's there's all these different types of scarves. You've got now the like infinity scarves that just wrap around or your, your kind of typical scarf with two ends. And I've even found like, you know, is is am I putting on like a thin small scarf that again is just gonna keep that breeze off my neck, or am I like going outside building snowman and like layering up and tossing on this like chunky knit scarf? I've got a couple that like just slide over my head and I can actually even like po poke my face into them as well. So it kind of mm. works as both like a belly clava and a scarf. And, you know, <laughs> finding ones that work for dual purposes, there's so many. Fashionable. And even some of the really warm ones, ones can look fashionable. I think uh, from the male perspective, from a, man, a man's perspective, a lot of those argyle or checked prints that just go mm -hmm. beautifully around, like can just either be hanging off the back of your neck or wrapped around it. Just like it, it offers like a sense of, of class without even needing to do anything else but Emily I'm finding what you're saying very relatable as someone who's also part of the blind and partially sighted community the fact is that going outside in the winter for folks like us comes with some pitfalls which is am I waiting for a bus am I walking to the bus am I exclusively walking is somebody giving me a ride and then do I want to have a million things to keep track of once I get somewhere so even if I choose to wear a bunch of layers and then just wear a lighter coat on top of that I still have to track down those layers where I'm going. So if I'm like going to a bar or a restaurant, I might even wear the heavier coat simply because it's less things to keep track of. Absolutely. And there's, like I said, there's so many different scenarios where you're like, what am I wearing? I've got like four different types of coats just for different occasions where I'm like, am I walking? Like you said, kind of, am I just putting on a heavier coat or yeah, keeping track of all the things, you know, if you've got your hat and your mitts and your um, scarf, like all of a sudden you're carrying all these things once you go inside. So 
sometimes I'm even braving it in the cold where I'm just like, you know what, slap a coat on, slap a hat, and just kind of book it to the bus stop and, and hope that I'm warm enough. Move fast, get your heart rate up, and then hope for the best. What's yeah. what's the line, though, Emily? Um, I was talking to Alex Smythe in the first hour of the show. They're about to get a real cold snap in the prairies, minus 30, minus 40 with wind chill. <laughs> what's your number when maybe you're going to stop making compromises on layers and a light coat and just break out the heavy winter coat because I was saying to Alex it's somewhere around minus 15 that I stopped trying to prove something to myself Ooh, okay so I'm I'm somebody who's naturally like kind of always cold like I'm always got like a couple extra pairs of socks on or like my face once my face gets cold like that's it for me <laughs> so I, I would say even like minus 10 for me like that winter coat is going on or even like a minus five with like a heavy wind like that coat is coming on. And what I'm even seeing more recently is that, um, you know, you can put a coat on and, and that's going to keep, you know, all your internal organs nice and warm, but you know, you still have all these other parts of your body that you need to keep warm. So we're seeing a lot of like knee length coats really be in style right now that I've seen a lot of people wearing. And again, with like, with like a long scarf as well. Um, and then a pair of boots and you're actually kind of keeping your legs warm too at the same time. And I'm loving that idea um, also funny enough, I even saw recently somebody put on a, a like really heavy winter jacket and it actually had straps on the inside to wear it like a backpack once you got inside to where you were going so that you didn't have to carry it with your hands. And I was like, that is genius. Mm, I like that. I like that's a really, really good idea. Speaking of the hands, Emily, mitts or gloves? Because I will confess, gloves, a mitts will keep your hand warmer, but I feel like mittens are like a little too infantile to walk around with as a 40-year-old man. I was gonna say again, like it kind of depends on the situation. Am I going somewhere where like I wanna carry my, my gloves or like, you know, am I just kind of getting on the bus and I need to be able to like carry my card where like, you know, I maybe can't so much do that with like a, a thicker glove. Um, so I like mittens for being able to like put them in my pocket afterwards because they're a lot smaller, but I, I also like a glove for kind of having all my fingers together, creating more of that warmth. Again, hands are another thing that get cold really easily. So I, I like a glove, especially like to be able to take it on and off, you know, if you need to use your phone. Um, I think they both kind of have their, their, their pros and their cons yeah. for different situations. <laughs> yeah, we have a little bit of privilege here, right? Being based in uh, Southern Ontario, just the winters do not get as bad as other parts in the country. I grew up in Montreal. Mm -hmm. I lived in Ottawa for over a decade. That's where there's real winter and certainly places like the prairies, you know, it gets real, real cold in the winter. <laughs> but Emily, I, I'm someone who made the purchase a couple of years ago for runner's gloves, which really until it gets to be about Ooh. minus 10 or minus 12, they're just really simple, small, thin gloves. They keep my hands nice and warm. They fit in the pocket nice and easily. They were about $11 on the Large River Retailer website. I think this was one of the best purchases I've ever made because it doesn't feel like a big rigmarole to like carry a bunch of mm -hmm. thick, heavy gloves around. Just stick them in the pocket. Or even the like fingerless gloves where the they like flips over the top. You can oh, easily yeah. access your like mm. hands if you need them, but then you know, create some more warmth on those. There's so many little kind of gadgets. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Emily, you've now dressed for the cold weather. Uh, what about keeping busy during the winter months? Uh, what are some of your favorite low cost winter activities in the Hamilton area? 
there is truly so much to do and I am a sucker for like going for a good outdoor walk again like keeping warm while you're outside and and keeping moving I'm, I'm not so much a fan of things where you kind of sit still now if you have maybe like an outdoor campfire going um you know still a way to kind of keep you warm and be a little bit more relaxed but going for a walk even like noticing the snow on the trees and and just kind of being outside um are, are really really special for me and and just being able to be outside in different different scenarios um I'm always down to build a snowman um I <laughs> literally every time it snows I'm pretty sure I text my sister and I say do you want to build a snowman <laughs> I like that building a snowman that definitely counts walking in snowman definitely a little cheaper mm -hmm. than the uh than the lift fees to go uh, to go downhill skiing again especially because in southern Ontario our options are uh, somewhat limited and when you do want to go skiing it's going to cost you an arm and a leg absolutely <laughs> I mean have you recently tried anything like snow tubing it's a little cheaper than than skiing you don't have to necessarily buy all or rent all of your equipment but again it's kind of just that lift fee if you if that's something that's feasible for you and just being able to like Go, go up and down the hill. I, I do think there's something to just sliding down a hill with a cheap sled that can go uh, that can <laughs> that can go a long way. Like those uh, magic carpets you can buy at uh, Canadian Tire for mm -hmm. like $10 and just uh, go for a rip. Although uh, as I get older and I get further and further out of shape, it's not the going down <laughs> the mountain that scares me. It's the walking back up the mountain that concerns me. Definitely. And I mean, I've noticed even since kind of being in Hamilton, being in that city life, I'm like, where do where do you even toboggan around here that you're not going to like end <laughs> up on a road? Yeah, that's the Peterborough influence, right? Because that, yeah. that, that, that's, that's where you're from. We're from, from a place where there's kind of actual winter and winter activities, yeah. not just concrete. Uh, Emily. We just went flood in our ditches. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. Hope the school year's off to a good start. Thank you. That's Emily Shavers, the founder of True Faces. Coming up after the break from outerwear to skin care, Anupala explores some solutions to dealing with dry skin during the winter season. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The dry winter weather can wreak havoc on your skin. A new Paula wants to explore some of the causes, but more importantly, some of the solutions to drilling, dealing with seasonal dry skin. Anu is the founder of Anu Vision Coaching and Consulting. Hey, good morning, Anu. Good morning, Dave. Anu, what makes winter so unique when it comes to challenging skincare? Well, we know that the winter conditions bring on a lot of challenges, and a couple of those when it comes to skincare is dealing with those dry, frigid um, conditions. Uh, we look at um, wind, for example, um, and then we also should look at indoor heating because that can really play a, a major role in impacting how our skin feels and even looks. So I know, for example, my lips will get quite chapped during these months. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other conditions that manifest on skin because of dry, cold weather? Well, extra dryness, for example, can lead to 
um, dull looking skin and even itchy skin could, which, you know, could cause redness. So it's like, it can manifest into a lot of different things. And I think when people have skin sensitivities, especially like rosacea and psoriasis, that just doubly impacts, um, you know, their experience. What are people doing wrong in their skincare routine during the winter months? Well, I think first and foremost is just neglecting skincare altogether. Um, it doesn't take a lot to just keep our skin healthy. We know that skin is one of the largest organs in our body, so it is important to take care of our skin. Um, avoiding washing our face. We know that it's important to cleanse our face in the morning and at night, um, especially in the evening, I would say, because, you know, all day we're dealing with, um, you know, elements in the air and the environment, pollutants. So it's very important to ensure that we do wash our faces at night. Um, and I think one that a lot of people still, I think we're becoming more educated, but I don't think everyone is on the bandwagon on this, but it's wearing sunscreen. Um, I think sometimes mm. we think that because we live in these colder climates, we don't need to worry about sunscreen, but oh no, that is, sunscreen is a thing. We definitely have to make sure that we use sunscreen all year round because those UV you know, rays are in the air all year round. So <laughs> we do need to make sure that we use sunscreen. Yes, that giant star in the sky that our planet rotates around that gives off a lot of heat and brings life onto the planet will burn you <laughs> year round if given the opportunity. So yes, my great enemy, the sun, even though it's here less this time of year, is still is still someone who uh, comes after my skin. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Anu, there's no doubt there uh, are plenty and plenty and plenty of options when it comes to skincare products. Uh, a simple walk down the uh, the uh, <laughs> the aisle of any given major uh, grocery store or pharmacy in the country will tell you that. What are some of the key ingredients that people should be putting on their radar? Maybe products that feature or emphasize certain ingredients or chemicals. Yes, and that's one thing that we as consumers are becoming so much more educated now on uh, the different types of in ingredients in general in our products. And I have been studying this and educating myself for a number of years now. And I'll just name a few, but there are many. Um, so hyaluronic acid is one that is become, has become very, very well known. And I think what's happening now is that companies are really leveraging on the fact that we are becoming more educated. So if you look at marketing, um, any commercial you will watch on TV or listen to on the radio where you'll hear about a particular product like um, Dove or Oil of Olay, they will you know, mention hyaluronic acid. So let me tell you what hyaluronic acid actually is. Um, it is a humectant that um, leverages um, you know, water from the air and puts it back into our skin. So it is something that our skin naturally um, creates. So it's very interesting uh, ingredient for sure. Glycerin is another one that um, can be easily found in the drugstore. And so that's another one that's, uh, that's in many, many skincare ingredients and vitamin E and C and squalene. So just to name a couple. Why is glycerin uh, a useful addition to the routine? 
Glycerin is important because, like I said, it is a humectant as well. It's, it's one of the most popular ingredients found in skincare. And you could even purchase glycerin on its own, which is quite inexpensive. It can be found in the drugstore. And so that is another, that is one, you know, like I said, is very um, popular and useful. Anu, obviously a lot of these cases are going to come down to uh, moisturizers or the makeups that you choose or what you choose to wash your face with at nights. But I would say it's important people don't sleep on just straight up hydration. Maybe it doesn't quite feel like the summer, you're not sweating as much, but really when you're talking about your skin, hydration is one of the key things as well. And that's in terms of the glasses of water you're chugging down every day. Absolutely. You know, it's one thing to use products on our skin. Like, trust me, I have an array of products. You can ask my husband. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, one thing I think that we have to need to really be uh, mindful of and conscious of is like just you named it drinking lots of water um, because that is the one thing that is going to keep us hydrated and we know that water has multiple benefits um, to all aspects of our life and our bodies and our skin um, is just one of those ways uh, examples of how water can contribute to healthy skin yeah sometimes it's the simple things right sometimes it's not always to spin down uh, the aisles of london drugs or shoppers drug marts or rexall to uh, to buy to buy chemicals sometimes good old water will do the trick hey anu on the way out the door here i do want to ask you the daily poll question folks can find it at accessible media on x at accessible media inc on facebook it's all about winter weather and there's been a lot of southern ontario and atlantic canada perspective on the this today about your favorite winter weather and cold weather accessory couple options here but feel free to uh, go off the board we've got uh long johns we've got uh, uh special socks there's also just sweaters what's the british columbia perspective on this the must-have favorite winter weather accessory well i wouldn't be canadian if i didn't mention a toque <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I sent an email out this morning that said uh, that toques are definitely uh, one of the easy options to pull off the board uh, if people wanted to go with that one. Uh, how much waterproofing, though? Because, again, the, the British Columbia winter experience is That's a little true. different than the than the southern Ontario or Atlantic Canada perspective. I imagine folks can't just be rock, walking around wearing wool toques. They're going to get all wet. <laughs> That is that is true enough. That's what the umbrella comes in handy. Oh but, my you gosh. know, it's one more one more thing. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, because I, I mean, I love scarves too. I mean, scarves are you can do a lot with a scarf. But I like to keep my head warm, so I'm gonna go with a toque. <laughs> I and, like that uh, one. You know, I, I'm a you know I'm a rebel. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that one. A rebel through and through. <laughs> hey, Anu, thank you for this. Have a lovely day out there. I talk to you soon. Thank you, Dave. That's Anu Paula, the founder of Anu Vision Coaching and consulting coming up after the break if money was not an object where would you want to retire again money's not an object you can fantasize a little bit you can literally go to fantasy island that's the question that alex smythe is going to pose to the round table in just a couple of minutes this is now with dave brown on amitv
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Let's find out what's coming up this afternoon when Kelly and Ramya hit the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Saying good morning to Ramya and Muthan. Hello, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. Today we have Greg David joining us. He says he will be there because the storm didn't hit him that hard and uh, he's good to go. So the Golden Globe Awards <laughs> took place Sunday night, obviously, and Greg David's going to unpack everything um, from, you know, what happened, what went down and what he agrees and disagrees with, with awards being handed out. Also, women can now give birth inside Disney World question mark beth deer is going to tell oh us more gosh. about that yeah i know uh, about that on the buzz yesterday we had a disney pin collection talk with karen mcgee so it kind of feels like a follow-up but you know well in a yeah. very different way in a very different way <laughs> unless, the, way, unless yeah. the disney pins were used to seduce you uh to you know cause the pregnancy <laughs> that's yeah okay <laughs> Anyways, and then uh, what are the most popular New Year's resolutions? And if you have resolutions, how can you keep them? I know it's one of the generic conversations, but Leslie DePoe, our registered nurse, is always bringing an interesting angle to these things. So we'll talk to her. Yeah, Ramya, the uh, New Year's resolutions, they're, they're seen as like so binary, right? That like, oh, you must do this on January 1st. And if you've fallen off by January 10th, you have failed. Rather yeah. than fluidity, uh, uh, we had Shane Baker, a wellness advocate, pop on the show last week and talk about the importance of like being kind to yourself, but also having exactly. a plan. Right, like it's it's one thing to say, oh, I want to lose weight. Okay, congratulations. Like, so does everybody. Like, everybody mm -hmm. on earth, no matter how fit they are, is like, yeah, I can drop a pound or two. But the thing is, like, how how are you doing that? Oh, I want to eat better. Okay, like, what are you gonna eat? Well, no, I just want to eat better. No, are you keeping cucumbers around the house? Do you have fruit? Exactly. Like, 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 what are you doing to make that happen? And I think that's one of the things that gets lost so often in these resolution conversations. Oh, what's your resolution? Oh, I'm gonna lift more weights. Okay, yeah, congratulations. It's the like, stuff. <laughs> you know? Attainable. I think what they call it smart goals or whatever, where yeah. you have to be, you know, very specific about what it is, the actionable items that you're bringing to the table. And also, you said January 10th. I always thought, okay, January 14th was a pretty good mark. Two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've uh, been uh, failing and succeeding simultaneously at mm. uh, working on my Spanish uh, with my Duolingo app. Duolingo. I, well, okay. I am. I am headed to Mexico for a wedding in February of 2025 and it's oh, not gosh. it's like not a resort wedding it's like a real like we're going to a oh. real city in Mexico we're going to Lyon I'm going to be like staying amongst the people and uh, wow. traveling as someone who's legally blind to a city where like uh, to a city and country where English and French are not the main languages mm -hmm. I am going to need to be able to communicate properly at airports restaurants bars etc because it looks like I'm probably traveling alone to this one, no plus one. So all the more reason why I need to have my I's and T's, uh, I's dotted and T's crossed to navigate my way around Mexico. Okay, I'm curious to, to keep posted on this journey for you because you do already know English and French, so I want to know how the Spanish goes. So keep going. Yeah, well, I know English pretty well. My French is a little bit spotty if my uh, last trip to Montreal uh, tells me anything. But I'll oh. say this, Ramya, <laughs> yo bebo agua, I drink water.
Okay. That's gonna get me halfway there, Congrats, and then you'll be, then you'll bebo cerveza. Boom! I drink beer. Bang! I've got like there half my vacation covered right there. Yes. Agua, cerveza, por favor. Boom! We're done. Oh, gracias. After they give it to me, I'm all set. I'm I'm right here. Yeah, all uh, the basics. All the, the pure basics. The pure basics. Uh, Ramya, stay right there because let's bring in Alex Smythe uh, as well. Alex, speaking of the international world and places around the world, you found an interesting list about countries where the cost of retirement is quite high. Yeah, Dave, so a new study survey uh, by Swedish uh, mortgage company Sambla has listed the most expensive countries in the world to retire. No real surprise, Canada is on the list and they're on the list at number six. So the top five places in ascending order, they're Liechtenstein, Singapore, Qatar, Monaco, and in first place is Switzerland. So this study takes into, mm -hmm. uh, into account things like the cost of living, the average retirement age, and life expectancy. So I thought this was a really fascinating article, fascinating read, so I wanted to bring this topic forward to the round table. And I first wanted to get people's reaction to Canada being not only on the list, but on the list at number six. So Ramya, did it surprise you that Canada was number six on this list? Um, kinda, but it, it's because I see Canada as not just like one size fits all for affordability and pricing. Like, did they go into any more details about which cities in Canada they're going to? Because I mean, obviously we have our guesses and knowledges about that. But when I think of Switzerland and I think of Canada, I think of these as very different a types of retirements but also just the vastness of the spectrum of what retirement can uh feel like in terms of price the cost yeah like I, I also had some questions about methodology as well that if like you're simply looking at vancouver and toronto like oh yeah, yeah no doubt yeah. this is the most exactly. expensive country uh, in the world or one of the most expensive countries in the world to live in and i'm saying this with with all due respect and love to like calgary and regina or halifax but the cost of living is lower right so like yeah what 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 was their pure methodology here but even if you look at the overall cost of housing in canada it's still close to half a million dollars for a home right so so mm. but, like, and that and that includes like one bedroom condos in that calculation as well so yeah alex i do have to, i do have to admit the uh, the methodology matters here mm -hmm. but but i'm i'm a little surprised canada's that high because when you think about monaco and qatar and switzerland these are oftentimes viewed as some of the wealthiest countries in the world and i'm not all the way sure i would put canada on that list but nazreen what do you think are you surprised Uh, Nazreen is so surprised that she's on mute. Alex, coming back. Co I, oh, there we go. Now we got Nazreen. Sorry about that. I agree with you and Ramia. I see your point, but I'm not surprised at all. I'm just picturing, I'm just viewing it as me being in the GTA, and it's still so hard to afford renting. Not even buying, but renting. Renting is still so hard to afford for a lot of people. It, the, it, the cost of living is very expensive. It's always been expensive, and it's just getting higher and higher and higher. And I, uh, at the end of the day, I was not surprised when I saw that Canada's number six.
Alex, are you surprised? Again, I'm, I'm really going to reemphasize this. When I think about yeah. Singapore and Qatar and Monaco, I think about places where, like, uh, like barons go and, like, build estates, mm -hmm. right? Like, the wealthiest people in the world. These are, like, in a lot of cases, like, Liechtenstein, Singapore, Qatar. These are, like, little teensy-tiny places. Monaco, like, little teensy-tiny places that are almost, like, city-states. And also, too, uh, they're also very much known for where a lot of uh, the the uber wealthy store their their money as well. So there's these types of factors in it. Also, I am surprised at the positioning on the list, especially when you consider other places where you know are are typically found on these lists, like Scandinavian countries, for instance, like Denmark, Sweden, Finland, mm -hmm. are are typically quite expensive places to live. I always considered them to be more expensive just overall once these these kind of types of factors are included uh, on top uh, instead of Canada just for the the rationale that you have all said you know there's many different regions within Canada where things can be much more affordable but I guess how they they collected this data and, and the the information they drew from led to this conclusion now I do also have uh, from a different survey if we want to get some comparisons I yes. do have according to the top five cheapest locations to retire. So if you give me one sec, I'll pull this up. So uh, this comes from the international, uh, an article on internationalliving.com. And so in, at number five, the fifth cheapest places to retire in 2024 is Mexico. So maybe your Spanish is coming a bit more <laughs> handy there, Dave. Wow. Uh, number yeah. four, long-term investment for Dave. <laughs> exactly, staying in, in South America, Ecuador is at number four. Malaysia is number three. Thailand, number two, and then in the number one spot is Colombia. So the Spanish really would come in handy, Dave, if you want to find a cheap place to retire. I say this with all due love and respect, though. A lot of uh, instability in a few of those yeah. countries listed there, with yeah. maybe the exception yeah. of Thailand. But there was a coup d'etat in Thailand like eight years yeah. ago as well. So you know what? Like, how stable, how stable is the rest of the world? I know for my Mexican trip, I really want to go on the Jose Cuervo like party train, except I would need to take a bus from Lyon to Guadalajara to get there. And I'm like, I am for sure gonna get mugged on this bus between Lyon and Guadalajara. Like, as a big giant white guy with a disability, like, I am getting mugged through and through if I take that bus. So I think, like, there is a disability lens applied here too, Ramya. I would not wanna go live in most of those places because they strike me as desperately unsafe, whereas the top six here strike me as pretty safe places. That's so fair to say, Dave, because going to these places sounds like a nice retirement on a, you know, I, like idealistic level. But then you're like, OK, but I can't necessarily leave my villa, you know, because it's not going to go any further than that for safety, for accessibility, for navigating the streets. Uh, I'm not sure, like maybe in the same vein that we're thinking of Canada, we can think of different sections and parts of these other countries. Um, I was definitely questioning why Thailand was one of the cheapest places to live and, and which parts of Thailand we're talking about or how. But uh, in terms of accessibility, for sure. And I think that for me, it's just familiarity. Like, I know how life would be if I stayed in Toronto, as expensive as it is. But if I'm hopping over to Malaysia, I uh, don't think so. Yeah, I mean, at least you can go a few hours down the road, go go live in Belleville or Kingston for your retirement, right? right? Like, yeah. um, Nazreen, I, I think the notion of sort of safety, accessibility, and disability has to intersect in this conversation as for people with disabilities who would be planning where to retire. I don't think any of us want to go through a significant learning curve on how to reorient and mobilize ourselves in a brand new country where we don't speak the language. I see what you're saying. I... 
I thought about this for a while, like me and my husband, we were thinking about it for a long time. Okay, where do we where do we want to retire eventually? And I had this conversation with my parents and I thought about my disability at the same time. Regardless of my disability, my top two choices, which is funny because it's one of the most expensive places and one of the most cheapest places. I'm talking about Switzerland and Thailand. When I went to Thailand, I did feel like it was a little accessible in terms of, um, you know, guidance and, you know, everybody just showing you around like it was there was no there was no uh, barriers when it comes to that. That's the touristy area. Of course, like people are going to be, you know, accommodating. But other than that, I'm not really sure about other places in Thailand I'd, it's still beautiful. It's still cheap, but that's that's where I would consider it, regardless. Yeah, Alex. Uh, when it comes to cheapness, my uh, my cousin goes out to Thailand every year for uh, for three to four weeks of intensive Thai boxing training and and kickboxing training, and he always reports back how well he eats for what a low price. <laughs> oh, oh my I, god, they I, take I'm that sure. seriously. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm, I'm sure, like uh, that's all. That's all part of the 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 equation as well. And it's just the quality of of a retirement and what what your money is going to be able to afford you. Obviously, if you have the same budget trying to go to Switzerland uh, post to Thailand, you're gonna have very different experiences. I, I think safety does uh, play a factor in it. For me, I, I like a kind of middle ground. You know, I, I would love to go to a place like like Germany to retire because uh, you have a lot of similar uh, kind of connection points. You're in, you're in the heart of Europe. Uh, you have a, a strong socialized network of, of care and access. Accessibility is highly considered. And also just public transit access is, is very yeah. well regarded and put forth as a priority as opposed to North America where still yeah. the, the car model. So that that would be my place. Plus it's beautiful with the Alps and the, the lowlands and the, the food and the beer. I mean, enough said. Was was Germany in this top 20 in the most expensive places to retire? I feel like Germany's gotta be pricey. Uh, let me pull it up. Here, you, I will you, give you, you in one second. Yeah, you, you pull that up and I'll come back to one more number from this study that says you need $300,000 to retire. That is preposterously low. Where? That is, Yeah, that is preposterously <laughs> yeah. low. I cannot believe a study would put out such a low number in Canada. Like, there's no chance. You will, you, will, you will be broke. You will be broke in five years if you try to retire with 300 grand. Do not yeah. use that number as a benchmark. Ramya, it sounds like you're on side with me here. I mean, I remember a flashback to a conversation, a similar conversation you had sometime early last year, Dave, where 1. you 1.8 million. Literally, yes, there you go. You literally broke it down for us and I was thinking, "Oh my god." <laughs> and and you see it like it's so bad that you see it implemented into life insurance and term insurance where people are trying to get as much of their money saved as possible while they're still alive because there's no way like saving for retirement is absolutely uh, bonkers now trying to do it in you know ways that we've uh, i don't know for generations people have done it it seems practically impossible yeah. to have the money that you actually need to retire safely <laughs> and that's and that's a very that's a very downer note to end this conversation alex yeah, do, alex do you have that data point for us 
Germany is not in the top 20, Ooh. so I'm safe. I guess I need less money, so there. Okay, well, there you go. Alex found the middle ground. Let's all go to Berlin together, and we'll go live all <laughs> next to where the wall used to be and have lots of fun. That is Ramya Emuthan. That is Nizreen Abdelmajid. That is Alex Smythe. I'm Dave Brown, and that's all the time there is for the show today. Don't worry. Things kick off again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.